This is one of the, the best-known parables, isn't it, in the Bible? The Good Samaritan. Everyone's heard of it, isn't it? It's, and it's, the phrase, the Good Samaritan, has come to be known just as someone who goes out and helps other people who are in trouble. We even have an organisation called the Samaritans, don't we? And that's what they do. They help people who are in trouble. And people also talk about um, passing by on the other side, don't they? It's just a phrase that's in, in common use. And probably people who use phrases like Good Samaritan and passing by on the other side possibly don't even know it comes from the Bible. And certainly probably don't know it comes from the lips of Jesus himself. But first of all, I'd just like to look at the background and the context of this parable, because I think that's quite important. Jesus, as he often did, is sitting, teaching the people around him. Sitting, expounding God's word to the people as they gathered round. When someone come along, comes along who's called, in the part of there, an expert in the law. This man is not a lawyer or a solicitor as we would think of them. He's an expert in the law of Moses, particularly the first five books of the Old Testament. In fact, some of these men, they memorized Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, so that they knew the, what was in them. They were experts in the law of Moses. And this expert in the law came along and he seemed to give Jesus some respect. Uh, he stood up when he was ask, asking his question, which is uh, a symbol of respect for the person. And he uses the title rabbi, um, which is normally kept for someone who has spent years uh, studying under the feet of some unrecognized teacher. However, the questions that he asked had motives. It says there he ought to test him. He was trying Jesus out. He was trying to justify himself as well, it says later. And he was trying to work out and show the people perhaps that Jesus was really just a, an amateur theologian uh, who had come from the sticks and who hadn't gone through the proper training process. And he wasn't one of the recognized leaders and perhaps trying to discredit him. So he asked Jesus this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That is probably the most important question that anyone can ask. What must I do to inherit eternal life? We all know, and this man certainly knew and believed, that he must face God one day. So the question that he's really asking is, how can I be right with God when I meet him? That was what he wanted to know. How would you answer that question if someone came to you? And like Jesus, we'd possibly answer it differently, depending on whether it was put to us as a genuine inquiry, of whether someone was just doing it as a trick question. There's always a tendency for people to think that they will be right with God if they do certain things if they perform certain rituals and do a certain number of good deeds. How many times have I heard people say, oh, well, it all depends whether my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds and it'll all be weighed up at the end. People think that they can contribute in some way to their own salvation. 
And that's totally contrary to all of the word of God. The whole principle of the gospel is that salvation is a free gift from God. That's what scripture teaches. Someone put it like this, loving deeds do not earn heaven for us, but loving deeds are the mark of the heaven-bound person. Loving deeds are not the means of earning points to heaven, but loving deeds are the marks of the heaven-bound person. There are, however, some things that we can and should do. We need to believe. We need to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he was sent into the world to be our Saviour. We need to repent. We need to turn away from our old way of life, from our sin, and lead lives as God has instructed. We need to trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, both now and for eternity. We can do nothing else for our salvation. So I've introduced the things that way because uh, we need to be careful with this little parable, this part of Scripture. We need to be careful not to take the parable and apply it without reference to the rest of Scripture. So let's come back and look at the lawyer's question here. Jesus, in the, the usual Jewish way, turned the question back on the man by saying, what is written in the law? And the questioner, knowing his scripture, knowing his books of the Old Testament, uh, he uses words from what's called the Shema, uh, words which every devout Jew would carry around with them in these boxes in their head uh, and also round in their wrist. And they repeated these words every day. And part of these words were these, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. That comes from Deuteronomy. And then he added from Leviticus, Love your neighbor as yourself. What a great answer. That's an answer that was impeccable. We do need to love God, and we need to love our neighbor. And if either one of these is missing... We don't really have a true Christianity. So Jesus replied to the lawyer and said, You've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. If the man had answered in a different way, if he had answered and said something like, I can't do this, it's impossible. But he said, how can I do this? That would have been a better response, I think. And I'm sure he would have got a different reply from Jesus. Jesus would have told them about the free grace of God given to those who put their faith and their trust in him. But this expert in the law, instead of humbly acknowledging that he can neither love God nor his neighbor as he should, tries to justify himself, tries to drive Jesus into a corner with a supplementary question which says, who is my neighbor? He's really saying, who can I leave out? That's what he's trying to get. He's trying to get a definition of neighbor that would limit its scope. Who's not my neighbor, he's really asking. And the Jews actually limited the scope of the Leviticus verse to just being only fellow Jews. 
fact, some of the writers actually wrote that down. They thought that they had no obligation to help anyone else. So Jesus doesn't try to directly answer this question, who is my neighbor? Instead, he gives us that wonderful parable uh, of the Good Samaritan that we all know so well. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. That rocky uh, descending road from Jerusalem to Jericho was notorious for ambushes and robbery. Robbers assaulted this man, left him naked and unconscious. It's interesting, he was there with no clothes on. No one could tell who he was, whether he was a Jew or a Gentile, whether he was rich or poor, what religious group he came from, if any. He was simply a human being in need. That's all he was. That's all we can tell from this man. Who will help him? A priest happened to be going down the road, and when he saw the man, he passed on the other side. Now these priests also wanted to inherit eternal life. They wanted to keep all the laws of Moses. And this priest had probably, he'd been to Jerusalem probably on temple duty there. They spent a couple of weeks every year uh, in temple duty. What was he doing there in Jerusalem? He was worshipping. Worshipping God there. His heart should have been full of the love of God. But he walked by on the other side of the road. What are we like when we leave our place of worship? As we leave here, are we full of the love of God? Are we changed having been here worshipping together? Are we ready to go out and do what God wants us to do? Or are we totally unmoved by listening to the word of God? If we're not affected, then our time of worship here has just been a waste of time. Worshipping God must change us, affect us, and how we deal with people that we meet, especially those in need. Then a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. These Levites assisted the priests in the temple. I would like to think perhaps this Levite saw the priest passing by. And he perhaps felt, if, I, if my superior, my boss, has not felt bound to interfere, then I won't bother either. Such is the power of example, isn't it? We never know how we influence people when we, they see what, what we do, especially if we do something wrong or fail to do something right. We as Christians are always being watched. What people see us do or not do tells them whether we practice what we preach or are just hypocrites with no depth to our faith. We must practice the love of God. The love of God that we say 
we have experienced in Jesus Christ. I think at this point in the story, all the people who are listening to Jesus are wondering what's happening next. They're probably enjoying the put-down of the upper-class clergy. And they expect Jesus to say something like, then suddenly came along a good working-class Jew. But no, much to the shock of all his hearers, Jesus continues and says, a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. And I'm sure, as you know, the Jews and the Samaritans uh, hated each other. The, the Jews regarded the Samaritans as despised, as heretics. They even classed them worse than Gentiles. And the Samaritans had responded in much the same way. Jews would travel many miles to avoid going through a Samaritan area. Jews and Samaritans would not even be buried together. I'm told that's where the phrase, uh, they would not be seen dead together, comes from. They literally would not be buried in the same place. Yet, it's this despised Samaritan, away from his home, away from his own people, who risks his own safety and possibly his own life to stop, to clean the wounds, to the anonymous man and bind them up. It's the hated Samaritan who has compassion. We've used that word a few times this morning. And carries him and his donkey down to Jericho to an inn and pays for his keep. The difference between those who pass by and the Samaritan was that he had compassion. Compassion and an unknown fellow human being. So Jesus, having finished his story, asks the expert in the law, which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Remember the lawyer's question? Who is my neighbour? And Jesus, by this story, has provided the answer, hasn't he? He's saying it's anyone who is in need. Everyone we meet, you're to be a neighbour unilaterally. You're to show compassion to all in need. Jesus asked the Lord, which of these was a neighbour to the man who fell in the robbers? He said, the one who had mercy on him. He couldn't even say the word Samaritan. That would have been too much for him. And then Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Jesus finally extracts out of the lawyer something like the right appraisal of the situation. <coughs> Jesus then delivers the sting in the tail, as we'll find he often does with these parables. He said, go and do likewise. We must not limit love. The lawyer did not want to hear the truth. Remember the whole point of the story. The lawyer was asking, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, if you want to earn it, then love God to the utmost and all humanity to this standard. And you can almost hear the people there saying, well, 
Who then can be saved? And that's what we should say too. So we, just to emphasize again, we cannot earn our salvation in this way. We cannot be good enough to face God. We must accept the salvation that God has given to us as a free gift. The salvation given by Jesus Christ, the one who died, who rose again, so that we can have eternal life if we put our trust and our hope in him. Do you see yourself in this parable? Do you see yourself as the priest or the Levite passing by or the Good Samaritan? I'm sure that we too have often passed by on the other side, not wanting to get involved, not wanting to get our hands dirty. And of course, we, we can all plead our circumstances and our limitations. That's understandable. We've all watched famine-stricken crowds in Africa, war-torn peoples in Ukraine, and we've all reached the point where we've just shaken our heads and done nothing. None of us have done enough, nor as much even as we could. None of us are as good as our beliefs or even our words. Like the lawyer, we really want to hear the, do we really want to hear the truth? As Christians, we, we like our master and show love to all. Jesus is urging us to help the needy of every religion and none. People of any race or any class. Even those we regard as heretics. Even those living a lifestyle that appalls us. But he's telling us to do so without thinking that we're obliging God to save us. To pass by our sins because we've done this. To some way excuse us at the judgment. If we are saved it will be by the grace of God alone through his mercy. And only out of that love, and then out of that love that he has shown us, our good works will flow as gratitude for that free gift that we've received. We don't want to minimize the importance of doing good things, but we're not saved by doing good, but we are saved in order to be good. If the life of Jesus is at work in us by his Holy Spirit, then we'll be drawn to help those whom we meet who are in need. And our consciences will tell us when we fail to help them. What must I do to inherit eternal life? I continually love like the man who showed mercy to the injured man. Sounds easy, but impossible. I can't have mercy like that all the time. What must I do to have eternal life? I need God to be the kind of person that the Samaritan was. Someone who will show mercy to me. So perhaps we should identify ourselves not with the priest or the Levite or even the good Samaritan. We're more like the man who was robbed. We are helpless and we need someone to help us. There was a good Samaritan for us, wasn't there? 
the best and greatest of all. He was Jesus Christ. He carried our guilt, our condemnation, all the way to the cross and dealt with it there. Scripture says, He took our infirmities and carried our sorrows. No one else could do what he did. Out of gratitude for what Jesus has done for us, let us do good. Look for those who need our help and give it sacrificially because we have a great Saviour and he has given us a great salvation. Amen.